0: This is Africa Digest.
1: It is 17 hours Central African time. A very good afternoon and welcome to it. It's Africa Digest here on Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. On the frequency nine six two five kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa, and online on, ch- on www.channelafrica.co.za My name is Luanda Maume and with me on the show it's Shalane Tulo, Visani Matebula and Musibidi Makura, Top Stories. The AU joins Rwanda as it begins a 100-day reflection and commemoration of the 1994 genocide. MSF concerned about an outbreak of cholera at the Kagoma Refugee Reception Center in Uganda. know, economic drug-made cars in Africa's largest pharmaceutical markets may be asked to pay a backlog fee to help clear a pipeline of medicines waiting for years for approval. In sport, big day for South Africa at the 2018 Commonwealth Games. Details on these and other stories as we progress with the show right now. It's a minute after five. Let's get the news. Here's Jolani Tulo.
2: Thank you, Leander. Good afternoon. The African Union has joined Rwanda as it begins 100 days of reflection and commemoration of the 1994 genocide. This year marks the 24th commemoration of the genocide. The chair of the AU Commission, Mohammed Faki Musa, says it is also a chance to challenge Africans to take responsibility for their actions and administrations to avoid any confusions that may turn an African against another in any other country. Musa elaborates.
3: Let all of us be driven by the imperative to remember in order to draw lessons from our failure to prevent the genocide, but also to remain vigilant at all attempts of negationists, of revisionists. We need to unite in paying our respect to the victims and expressing our solidarity with the survivors. And finally, the urgency to renew our determination that never again shall we allow such tragedy to occur.
2: Syria and its main backer, Russia, have accused Israel of carrying out missile strikes on a Syrian military airbase that's reported to have killed a number of people. Israel has declined to comment the T4 base had already been targeted by the Israeli army in February in in retaliation for a drone sent to its territory by Iran, another ally of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. The BBC's Sebastian Asher
4: has more. Syrian state television says that several people were killed or wounded. A group monitoring the war has been more precise, saying that 14 people died, among them members of the Syrian army and Iranian forces that back President Assad. Israel has carried out many similar attacks in the past. It's recently been stepping up its engagement in the conflict with the aim of curtailing Iranian influence. The US and France have both denied any involvement in the airstrike, which came amidst international condemnation, of a suspected chemical attack on Douma that's prompted threats from both countries of strong action if the Syrian government is proved to have been responsible.
2: Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari has announced that he would seek re-election next year. The move has put an end to months of speculation. A tweet from the President's office says Buhari would stand as a candidate for the All Progressives Congress and contest for a second term of office in the 2019 election. The BBC's Miene Jones has more. The announcement comes as he's due to travel to the UK on an official visit. A string of medical
5: trips to London last year led to questions as to whether Mr Buhari's health would be strong enough to run. However, it was generally expected that he would, following recent tours around the country, including to the financial capital, Lagos. President Buhari will run under the banner of the ruling All Progressives Congress.
2: United Nations troops have been attacked overnight in the capital of the Central African Republic. The incident occurred shortly after UN peacekeepers and CAR troops launched an operation targeting armed groups in a flashpoint district of Bangui. At least two people were killed and dozens wounded during the joint operation. More troops were also attacked in the institutional district of Bangui near the presidential palace. Earlier, two people were killed and 56 injured, including peacekeepers in a joint operation aimed at closing down the operations of armed groups in Bangui's mainly Muslim PK district. And finally, the widow of South Africa's former president, Nelson Mandela, Graca Mashal, has appealed to South Africans to continue to show support to the Matigizela and Mandela families as they mourn the passing of Winnie Matigizela Mandela. She was speaking at a tribute to Mama Winnie, organized by the Nelson Mandela Foundation at Constitutional Hill in Johannesburg. Machel says she's always Mama Weenie as a sister, she says the pain caused by Matigizela Mandela's passing will last a long time. So it is too early, really too early, for us to be
6: able to process the pain we are going through. But let me say something. As a nation, we
2: tend to wake up to realize Who are the people who have made us as a nation and to recognize them when they leave. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo.
1: Let's say thank you very much there to Zola. remember, you can keep in touch with the show via an email. It's info at channelafrica.co.za. You can send us a WhatsApp message or to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. It's plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven and also at on twitter you can find us it's at channel africa one let's now jump straight into our first story the african union has joined rwanda as it begins 100 days of reflection and commemoration of the 1994 genocide the continental body is however looking beyond rwanda and warning other african states to stay firm in upholding human rights so as not to put its citizens in the same tragedy coletta wanjo reports
7: At the African Union Commission headquarters in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, representatives of all African countries and beyond gathered to stand by Rwanda as it commemorates its bitter past, the 1994 genocide. A flame of remembrance was lit, and testimonies of Rwandans who had survived the genocide were played. The representative of Rwanda to the African Union, Hope Tumukunde Gasatura, says Rwanda is healing, but other African countries need to learn how genocide comes about and avoid it. So what happened in Rwanda teaches us that genocide succeeds out of investment by the political leaders in persistent abuse of diversity and exclusionary policies that establish a whole set of ideas, values, perceptions and justifications aimed at creating conditions that make a population to accept as normal the idea of exterminating the other. Genocide succeeds due to a lack of authoritative international institutions to act and lack of political will to intervene. Over a period of 100 days, 1 million Rwandan citizens are reported to have perished during the genocide of 1994. The AU Commission has been commemorating the genocide in Rwanda since 7 April 2010. This year, 2018, therefore, marks the 24th commemoration of those dark days, an important occasion to remember the lives lost, show solidarity with survivors and unite to ensure it never happens again in Rwanda or elsewhere in Africa and beyond. The chair of the African Union Commission, Mohammed Fakimusa, says it is also a chance to challenge Africans to take responsibility for their actions and administration so as to avoid any confusions that may turn an African against another in any other country
3: let all of us be driven by the imperative to remember in order to draw lessons from our failure to prevent the genocide but also to remain vigilant at all attempts of negationists of revisionists we need to unite in paying our respect to the victims and expressing our solidarity with the survivors. And finally, the urgency to renew our determination that never again shall we allow such tragedy to occur.
7: Prevention of genocide, the AU says, can best be done by setting up early warning mechanisms, taking swift action, including military involvement when need be. In Africa, human rights violations continue to be reported in countries like Democratic Republic of Congo, Libya, and South Sudan, where security instability has persisted. These have not been declared as being genocidal, but continue to raise concerns as to what direction they may take if not contained. Adamand Dieng, the UN Secretary General's Special Advisor for the Prevention of Genocide, says, African Union already has instruments to prevent genocide, but states must be fast to ratify and implement them.
8: I cannot but make another call for all African states. There are now about 20 who have not yet ratified the 1948 Genocide Convention to do so. I have launched an appeal which has been echoed by Secretary General Guterres in his message, and I think this is very important, and I'm pleased that Benin has taken action and has since ratified the 1948 Convention.
7: This convention that Adama talks of confirms that genocide, whether committed in time of peace or war, is a crime under international law which parties to the convention undertake to prevent and to punish. The primary responsibility to prevent and stop genocide lies with the state in which the crime is committed. I'm Colette Anjohi for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa.
1: Still with the same story, now Rwandans around the world are this week marking 24 years since the genocide against ethnic Tutsis in the East African country, which saw millions being killed in a period of 100 days. The genocide took place between hardline Hutus and minority Tutsi tribes after the death of former President Juvenal Javier Mana and in a plane crash on the April 6, 1994. Channel Africa's Kumbola Monjarele spoke to Vincent Kareka. He is a Rwandan ambassador to South Africa about the lessons that the global community can draw from Rwanda's genocide experience.
9: It's the time for all Rwandans to remember and also to unite and renew. Uh, That means we can make progress, economic growth, stability, and so on. But if we don't remember where we come from, what went wrong in our history, we may uh, commit the same mistakes. So remembrance time is very important for all Rwandans. To remember, to uh, feel guilty about uh, the causes and the different role played, and at the same time, to to be determined to leave a legacy that will be totally different from that to the future generations. It's also a moment for the nation to come
10: together. Sure. Now let's talk about the progress uh, that uh, the country has made, Ambassador, in terms of its reconstruction. Now the events of 1994 have undoubtedly left many scars on many Rwandans. How would you describe the last 24 years since the genocide? Would you say that the nation has healed completely or is there still a long way to go, Ambassador? So
9: observers, they talk of a Rwanda miracle, actually. Uh, So many positive things in terms of unity reconciliation have happened in the last 24 years. But uh, we cannot talk of perfect uh, total reconciliation and healing, especially on the healing part. But the political understanding by most Rwandans, the majority, is that unity is important and we work towards unity. But scars left and right are still there. Many people are orphans and uh, women are widows and people lost property and their belongings. They were affected in many ways. Some became refugees and got uh, people from their family imprisoned for what they, they did. So there are scars, but um, they're very positive and the strongest part, unity reconciliation uh, have uh, achieved tremendous uh, strides in the society of Rwanda, thanks to government leadership and also involvement of civil society and churches, and also usage of uh, our traditional homegrown ground solutions.
10: Let's talk about the welfare of survivors, Ambassador. It has been a talking point uh, over the years. What is the situation with regards to the survivors of uh, the genocide? Some we understand are living with hiv and aids and some are still suffering from the physical consequences of the sexual abuse that they experienced at the time what kind of support has the government been giving the survivors of the genocide ambassador so,
9: since uh, about 96 uh, up to now the government uh, put five percent of uh, the national budget aside to deal with education of uh, orphan children of survivors to also deal with medical treatment and also psychological counseling and even housing for the most needy and uh, the poor among the survivors and uh, so far, so good, but as you say, uh, HIV is HIV or uh, trauma in the heart is something you cannot remove with money but we try. We have uh, counseling centers social support, medical support, education support, uh, housing, and uh, income-generating activities for so those who can still uh, work and grants and uh, food support for so, uh, the very old or disabled who cannot work for themselves
10: how would you respond to those who say that the genocide ideology policy is tantamount to erasing the past ambassador some say yes new rwanda can write its own history of hope and a reconstruction and of a united history but this dark chapter will always be etched in the minds of many rwandans and therefore a constant dialogue must be held about the impact that these unfortunate events have had on the fabric of the nation
9: it's true uh, the dark over one generation, even over two, I'm sure even the Holocaust that affected the Jews uh, more than 70 years ago is still in the mind, uh, even of the people who were born after. Uh, in terms of dialogue, Rwanda has got a permanent uh, unity and reconciliation commission that promotes dialogue into that regard, but also a progress in healing in uh, Society coming together, working together productively, understanding the issues together, how they raise children, education in school at uh, community level. So it's. Uh Work in progress and continuous work. We haven't given up.
10: Talk to us about uh, the prosecution of those behind uh, the genocide. Would you say France has been picking up pace, uh, Ambassador, in recent years in terms of prosecuting suspected perpetrators of the genocide? And what is the situation with regards to the prosecution of uh, perpetrators back at home in Rwanda? Uh,
9: Back at home in Rwanda, we have completed the whole process. Through what we call the Gatra Court, a participatory justice involving uh, survivors, uh, perpetrators, and large And uh, all went well. Uh, uh, 37% of those accused were sentenced and other freed in the context of reconciliation. But as you rightly say, abroad we still have cases that have never been um, tackled. And we appreciate that France for well, the last two uh, or two years is also, because they were lagging behind due to their history in what happened in our country.
1: That is Vincent Kareka, ambassador of Rwanda to South Africa, talking there to Channel Africa's Kumbero Muzerele. You are with Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. And remember, if you want to keep in touch with us, it's info at channelafrica.co.zere on email. And on Twitter, it's at channelafrica, the numerical one. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. we we'll back after this.
8: Channel, Channel Africa.
1: Africa. Africa. Remember, <laughs> Mama, we, we named Mandela. Manuela.
2: From, From an, an African perspective. From African
6: perspective. <laughs>
1: Attention Attention to our listeners. listeners. On Wednesday, the 11th of April, 2018, 2018. Channel Africa will broadcast the memorial service for the late South African struggle icon, Mama Winnie Matigizela Mandela. Mandela. Tune in to Channel Channel Africa Africa. on www.channelafrica.co.za and on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. Channel Africa, remembering Mama Winnie from an African perspective. perspective. (laughs) Welcome back and do make sure that you tune in for that memorial service that is happening on Wednesday, the 11th of April, 2018. Remembering Mama Winnie Madigizela Mandela from an African perspective. My name is Luanda Maume. I'm your host. You're still with Africa Digest on Channel Africa. Thank you very much for joining us now. In an effort to normalize relations between South Africa and Lesotho, South Africa's Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, Lindiwe Sisulu, has apologized for the way King Letsie III was detained at the Maseru Bridge border last January. Sisulu traveled to Lesotho to smooth things over with the king after he was mistreated by South African officials at the border with his mountain kingdom. Ndanda Maslango on the story.
6: Minister Lindiwe Sisulu has gone to great pains to smooth reshuffled feathers in Lesotho. She has apologized for the way the king was detained as he was returning from his holidays last January. At the Southern African Development Community Council of Ministers meeting she chaired in Pretoria in March, she apologized for the way King Litiye III was detained at the South African border post. Last Friday, she made a trip to Maseri to repeat her official concretion, taking Home Affairs Minister Malusi Gigaba and a delegation with her to underline the point. Prior to a meeting with the King, Minister Sisulu visited Home Affairs officials at the Maseru border bridge to receive a briefing on the operations at the border. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Glantla Malangu in Johannesburg.
3: A strong woman. What
8: are you doing here killing our people?
6: Thank you
3: for, Thank being,
11: you an for being an inspiration. inspiration.
6: inspiration.
1: As countries prepare for the UN high-level meeting on non-communicable diseases in September, different organizations are throwing their support behind a new campaign that is calling for governments around the world to prioritize the prevention and treatment of non-communicable diseases. The South African Non-Communicable Diseases Alliance is among those who've joined the global campaign dubbed Enough NCDs. NCDs, which include diseases like cancer, cardiovascular disease and chronic respiratory disease, result in about 70% of all deaths worldwide annually. The WHO projects that NCD deaths will total 44 million per year by 20 The greatest increases are expected to come from South Africa, Southeast Asia and the East Mediterranean. More from Dr. Vicky Pigney, the Director for South African Non-Communicable Diseases Alliance.
11: The situation is serious. We don't always know how many people there are because we don't necessarily have good statistics. But we know that the burden of disease from things that are not really infectious diseases or communicable diseases is very high. And it's growing in Africa all the time. For example, diabetes is one of the places in the world where we are expecting in sub-Saharan Africa in the next 10 years about a hundredfold increase in the amount of diabetes we have.
12: What are some of the risk factors, Doctor? What is causing these diseases?
11: I think the biggest issue that we're having is a transition in the way that people live. So that's the way that people may not exercise as much as they used to. There are cheap foods that are available that aren't necessarily very nutritious. They're full of calories and people may be getting overweight when they shouldn't be. So there's smoking. There are a number of them. They often talk about them as being sins that we have modern life, but they're really not. It's just normal parts of living like diet and alcohol and things like that, moderation is the idea.
12: And how far have governments gone in prioritizing the rising threat that is posed by NCDs?
11: There are prioritizations, yes, but really in the World Health Organization, the new Director General from Africa has said that really we are lagging behind In we promise to do things throughout the world, but we are not doing it, and Africa is a particular example where we're not doing well enough with treating and preventing non-communicable disease.
12: Let's talk about this hashtag Enough NCDs campaign. What is it all about and what does it seek to achieve?
11: Well, it's about human rights to health, and it's very important that we consider that non-communicable diseases are not well managed and prevented. And a lot of money has gone into, and we don't fight about that, treating infections. However, the major killer of people is still going to be problems like diabetes, high blood pressure, and all the rest. So we're saying, those of us who are living with these illnesses, we've had enough. We need treatment. It's our right to have treatment. It's our right to have prevention. And so let's move on. We can't be neglected any longer, and we're asking our governments, to take action.
12: How different is the plan from any other that had similar objectives? And do you think that it can work in every country?
11: You know, it can work and it's got to take determination of the people, first of all, to make sure that the governments stick to what they've promised. All the governments have signed up to ratify these agreements in Africa. And it really is too much for us. I'm a patient living with non-communicable diseases and I really want my government to take care of me when I need the proper treatment. The treatments are not necessarily expensive. It just takes commitment.
12: Please elaborate on that. In South Africa in particular, what is it that you're asking for from the government?
11: We're asking them to implement the plans that they've put down on paper. There are lots of lovely plans on paper but they don't get implemented properly and we're asking for those to be implemented. Things like adequate diabetes treatment. Diabetes is the number one killer of women in South Africa and we don't have enough treatment and even tests to detect whether you've got diabetes. Women are dying from losing their legs and going blind and heart attacks and strokes which are all related to each other. Cardiovascular and you know, disease is the biggest killer. The brain strokes, heart attacks, losing limbs, kidney disease. Those are real killers in Africa. So we're asking for equitable treatment. People with diabetes say it would be better if I had HIV and AIDS than having diabetes, because if I have HIV and AIDS, I will get the right treatment. But that's not true if you've got things like diabetes, high blood pressure, asthma, and so on.
12: And is there a way that the general public can show their support for the course?
11: We put it up on our website. It's www.sancda.org.za. So it's the South African Non-Communicable Disease Alliance. On our Facebook page, and you'll see the hashtag EnoughNCDs. And please just write about it, support, just talk about your experiences living with NCDs and say that you want the right care for yourself and your family.
1: That is Dr. Vicky Pinkney, the director of the South African Non-Communicable Disease Alliance, talking there to Elizabeth DeRica. The global medical aid agency Doctors Without Borders is worried about an outbreak of cholera at the Kagoma Reception Center in Uganda, hosting about 6,000 refugees fleeing violence in the Democratic Republic of Congo. MSF has set up an outpatient clinic inside the reception center and is vaccinating all newly arrived children against the disease in an attempt to mitigate its spread. Refugees who make it out of the reception already reportedly face dire conditions in the nearby refugee camps. MSF project coordinator at the Kakoma Reception Center and Cecile Niyad.
13: So as soon as refugees enter Uganda, they are taken from their landing site, the different landing site which are uh, along the, the Lake Albert shore, and then they are sent by bus to the reception center in which MSF is responsible for vaccinating all the newcomers against different disease, the part being polio, then measles, and tetanus. So the 20th of February, MSF vaccinated 4,394 children between 0 and 5 years old for polio, 10,600 for measles for 6 months to 15 years, and over 6,000 women. So that is a requirement from the Ugandan uh, government that all those newcomers are vaccinated before entering the camp.
0: And the numbers are growing every day.
13: At the moment, for the, in the last few days, we have 250 350 people coming every day. So we are over 45,000 uh, refugees since the beginning of this crisis in December.
2: What are the arriving refugees telling what
0: are some of the stories you're hearing from people in terms of um, what leads them to coming to Uganda?
13: So, for the, some of them are coming because they hear either they hear the ears of fighting. Like this morning, I had I interviewed people saying that they can hear some shooting around the area where they live, so they'd rather leave before uh, the fighting reach them. Or for some of them. They've been in the middle of the fighting, so they just ran away and, like, either lost part of their family or they don't know where the other part of their family because everybody ran out in different directions. But overall, the stories we hear are quite violent. The stories are very violent in general. Lots of people died around them. Uh, some of them had to like, go over dead corpse on the floor to, to reach out. So, in general, it's very violent. Lots of people died in Congo, that we are sure of.
0: And what's your concern for MSF um, regarding the situation of the refugees in Uganda? What are you most worried about as an organization?
13: There are two, two different things. The first one is the cholera outbreak in the camp, which is starting to slow down. And the good thing is that the number of cases is reducing as per today. But the main concern today in the camp is the water. There is not enough water for everybody. So today we are 8 liters per day per person, which is way below the necessary uh, quantity of water
1: per day per person, which is normally twenty, being a minimum. That is N. Cecilia, Doctors Without Borders project project coordinator at the Kakoma reception centre in Uganda, on the line talking there to Jane Rabotada. With that, let's get to your latest uh, news headlines. Heshalani Tulo.
2: Thank you, Lianda Making headlines, the African Union has joined Rwanda as it begins 100 days of reflection and commemoration of the 1994 genocide. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari has announced that he would seek re-election next year. And finally, the Constitutional Court in Uganda is hearing an opposition bid to annul a constitutional amendment which removes presidential age limits. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Fight on fight. Fight on. Fight on. Mother. Nature. Channel Africa remembers Mama Wini Matigizela Mandela. A real lioness In
1: in the struggle for
2: liberation. Rest in peace, mother of the nation.
1: Welcome back You're still with the Africa Digest on Channel Africa giving you news from an African perspective. My name is Luanda Maume. I am your host for today's Pumenele Zondi is out for the day. Farmers institutions in the West and Central Africa are meeting in in Mauritania this week to find ways to strengthen food and security food security and poverty reduction at country and regional levels. The International Fund for Agricultural Development is hosting the forum under the theme For an Effective Partnership with Farmers and Rural Producers Organizations. Aids de Villeboise, the Regional Director for Western Central Africa Division at IFAD, speaks to us from Mauritania.
4: It brings together all the projects and government officials and IFAD staff and other partners To discuss on the performances of of the projects that we finance so that is the main element of 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 this forum then linked to that we have two days what we call the farmers forum because as you know ifad is very much focusing on the smallholder producer the smallholder producer and then with a specific attention to women and and youth and of course because we are dealing with producers we it's for us it would be impossible to deal with each farmer by him or herself. So that's why farmers' organizations are very important. Plus, for farmers themselves to have influence where you need a say, where you have to influence policies that that do not work very well for you, then of course the farmers' organizations can come about. Plus, some farmers' organizations provide services to to their members. And that is where IFAD comes in. So if, if, if you like, it's, it's a very nice symbiosis. On the one hand, we support and try to strengthen the, the farmers' organizations so they can represent better their members and provide services where needed to their members. On the other hand, we, we need those organizations to reach out to, to the small farmers and the producers and, at, uh, in, in the country and in the rural areas.
14: Talking about farmers being part of that forum, you as IFAD have a number of projects around the continent. Now, when we look specifically at the region um, that you are heading, which is the Western Central Africa region. Are there any similarities as you have projects as IFAT in these different regions? Do we find that there are similarities in the types of needs from these different uh, regions or also are the challenges perhaps similar or different to each other?
4: We see countries where the farmers' organizations are very well-developed and, and are very advanced, and, and we have also countries where it is very much a nascent um, a movement. So there, of course, we focus much more on supporting them to create their capacity and create their membership, or often through linking them already to very mature and well-developed and functioning other farmers' organizations elsewhere. So uh, be it in in the region, Western Central Africa, or even in East and Southern Africa. Uh, For example, I can give you an example of Liberia, where you have a nascent um, farms organization movement and, and we are linking them to Tanzania, so, the, so there are many many opportunities for us. And again, because with the strong farmers' organisation, and it, it's a mutual a mutual reinforcing element for both. The farmers' organisation can represent farmers better, and we can reach the farmers better.
14: I mean, at the moment in South Africa, we are um, experiencing drought, um, which is not unique only to South Africa, but parts of the continent yeah. is also experiencing yeah. drought. As an organisation, yeah. I mean, how do you then deal with such uh, challenges?
4: The drought, mm. is certainly in Southern Africa, is not new, of course. This was already predicted some 20 years ago and now really is, is, advanced, is advancing heavily. And what we have been doing from, from the beginning is engaging with farmers. It is the type of activities they do. What, what are the types of crops they are, they, they, they are planting or what livestock do you keep? So you can evolve and, and you can change those those practices or the crops or the activities they do linked to the drought to make sure. The, the problem with climate change is farmers react to weather, which is much more short. And the climate change is very long term, of course. And farmers only see the necessity to change when really the weather is changing as well. Mm. And now in many parts of Africa, you see the weather is changing based on what we, well, what scientists already were predicting for a long time. But in the past, when there hardly were any impacts of the climate change, farms are not changing. So now many farmers see that necessity and governments as well. So uh, be improving water management, changing practices, changing activities, and that is very important. What are you hoping
14: comes out of this meeting, but also that it becomes one that action will come from and that it doesn't become just any other talk shop?
4: The reason why we are now moving to regional workshops, in, in the past we, we always and exclusively had only global workshops. So we had once every two years a big meeting in IFAB in Rome with farmers organizations from the whole world, from Latin America, from Africa, from from, from Asia, all coming together And we found after some years that there was no improvement any longer. It became, what you said, more a talk shop. It was a repetition of of things which were not working, but we were not progressing. And then we said, also taking into consideration the regional or sub-regional differences, that it was very important to still have this um, biannual workshop at the global level, but also bring it closer to the countries themselves, so at the regional uh, level and, where possible, at the national level.
1: That is de Willeboa, Regional Director for Western Central Africa Division of the International Fund for Agricultural Development, on the line talking there to Humozo Mopulani. You have laid a great foundation. The struggle for total liberation continues. Welcome back. Now the Southern African Development Community Management Institute, a newly established regional center of excellence on groundwater hosted by the University of Free State in Bloemfontein here in South Africa on behalf of and under the strategic guidance of the SADC Secretariat Directorate of Infrastructure and Services Water Division in Gaborone, Botswana, hosted an our is hosting an awareness and knowledge management and communication strategy stakeholder engagement workshop here in Johannesburg. Dr. Shafiq Adams, Executive Manager for Water Resources and Ecosystems at the South African Water Research Commission,
15: explains. We are convening today to discuss a strategy to create awareness of groundwater in the region to ensure food security, water security, and as well, in some cases, energy security.
8: This awareness campaign... Is it the first
15: of its kind or have there been any other campaigns before? There have been campaigns but very limited and not regionalized as what the SADE Groundwater Management Institute through the communication strategy wants to achieve. And I think it will go a long way in getting the region to come up with a comprehensive strategy to secure its groundwater and uh, water in general.
8: What's the situation with regards to our groundwater situation in the region of Southern Africa?
15: Our groundwater situation is that we're not using enough of it at the right scale. We know, for example, we use it a lot for rural water supply, one ball or a one well, but we have not really created a bulk water system from groundwater. We have examples, for example, in the city where I come from, Pretoria, which gets between 10 and 13% of its water from groundwater. But so there's this huge opportunities for groundwater to ensure food security for people to cultivate more land using more water and not just see it as a single source for drinking water supply.
8: What are the challenges facing our groundwater
15: system? Our challenges facing our groundwater system, firstly we're not making enough use of it. We do not have a system where we systematically explore and develop the groundwater. As I say, we always think of it as a rural water supply and in some cases where, because groundwater is very distributed, often we have cases where we Contaminated without knowing it because usually we will build above the aquifer and some of those uh, pollutants or contaminants might enter the, the aquifer and then we might deteriorate due to water quality.
8: Talking about building on top of these aquifers, mm-hmm. are we aware of the danger that we are causing to our underground water?
15: Sometimes we do it without knowing it. In some cases... We just ignore it because we think we can get our water from somewhere else, from a surface water resource. But as we see, as the climate is changing, our surface water is drying up and people go more and more for groundwater. And by that stage now, your groundwater is now maybe polluted and then you need to spend more money to treat it, to get it to an acceptable water quality. So in some cases we over rely on surface water and hoping that as we see the climate change, so there's not enough water, there's not enough water coming into our dams. So we look for alternative water supplies and groundwater is one of them. And then we see in cases where some of it might be contaminated or there's been developments on top of these potentially important aquifers.
8: Now, talking about the replenishment of Mm -hmm. some of our groundwater Mm -hmm. systems, is it sustainable?
15: If we do it right, if we protect the areas which, what we call, uh, get it, the, the groundwater gets recharged from. So if we protect those areas and make sure that we keep it open, we keep it clean, and we protect it so that the water can actually go into the aquifer and uh, replenish the aquifer. And what we've seen, for example, that groundwater is a good drought buffer. So if, as your dams run empty, you usually have water in your aquifers, But over time that might also deplete because it depends on the rain. But it's a good uh, when your surface water is drying up that you can have access to your groundwater. And then while the next rains come filling up all these systems, you then... So what we are promoting is conjunctive use. So you can use surface water and groundwater, not one or the other. And that way you can ensure water security.
8: Administration or management of our natural resources, Mm -hmm. like water, Mm -hmm. has been safe in most of the cases when it has been administered by local communities. And the situation becomes chaotic when some form of administration takes over the administration of some of these uh, water Mm -hmm. resources
15: what course is there? I think it's just in terms of it's how you want to manage it, in which model you select. But if there's no consistency and there's confusion, as who's in charge and who needs to set the rules. But usually, most of our water is governed by some sort of act, whether it's at the national or provincial level. But we all know that we need stakeholders, so we need the users to be part of that solution. But we've seen in some cases around the continent that you still have village-level operation and maintenance where villages actually maintain the water the resources. And then we need to find a way to harness that so, and then need to cooperatively manage that and not one or the other. And Because you rely on government, for example, to build the infrastructure because it's expensive, but you also rely on communities to look after that and manage that at the local level and see the importance of that so both of them needs to manage it in most respects that is dr shafik adam he's he's the
1: executive manager for water resources and ecosystems at the south african water research commission talking there to wandile kalipa with that let's get your latest economics update here's with Sani
5: Thanks, Luanda, and good evening. Rwanda's President Paul Kagame has appointed Uzayel Ndangijimane as Finance Minister in a cabinet reshuffle. Kagame swept to a landslide victory in the presidential election last year, securing a third term in office and extending his 17 years in power. Ndangijimane replaces Tlava Gatete. Gatete, a previous central bank head, credited with overseeing a period of relative monetary stability, has been named Minister for Infrastructure, Rwanda's economy has been rebuilt with a focus on technology, mining, tourism, and agriculture. Growth rates have averaged five to six percent over the last decade. This year, the IMF expects its economy to expand by seven point two percent. In another move, Kagame named Yvonne Manzi Makolo as chief executive of the national carrier, RwandAir. The airline sacked its previous head in April last year. And drug makers in Africa's largest pharmaceutical market may be asked to pay a backlog fee to help clear a pipeline of medicines waiting years for approval. Delays for hundreds of medicines have kept the latest treatments of South African shelves and hampered the fight against cancer, heart and other diseases in the country, which also has more people receiving antiretroviral drugs than anywhere else in the world. Besides improving access to life-saving medication, analysts say the South African Health Products Regulatory Authority's approval could help boost revenue streams for companies competing in the $3.8 billion US dollar per year market. And a new report by International Monetary Fund has revealed that uh, the debt of African countries, especially southern countries such as Malawi, Zambia and Mozambique, is rising to risky levels. The report looks at economic developments and prospects amongst the world's low-income countries, which account for a fifth of the world's population, but only 4% of global output. George Mango reports from Blantyre, Malawi. Initially, Malawi has a total public debt of $3.5 billion, with about a third of that in external debt. This means that capital Hill's appetite for borrowing is worrying many, including the International Monetary Fund, which warns that Ilongwe is at risk of being a debt distress if no swift action is taken to reverse the impact. And South Africa's net foreign reserves have risen to 43.38 billion US dollars in March from 43.27 billion dollars in February. Gross reserves have fell to 49.9 billion dollars from 50.1 billion dollars. The forward position, which represents uh, the central bank's unsettled or swap transactions, fell to 1.9 billion dollars from 2 billion. And government officials from Ghana will meet investors in Japan. This week as the West African nation seeks to diversify its range of sovereign bondholders. Ghana, which exports cocoa, gold and oil, plans to issue up to $2.5 billion of sovereign debt. Finance Minister Ken Oforiata has previously said he was weighing the option of issuing a yuan-denominated samurai bond. Financial indicators now we look at the position of the dollar as against the uh, SADC currencies it's at 12.01 South African rand 9.5 Botswana pula and 9.37 Zambian kwacha and its position with uh, BRICS currencies it's trading at 3.36 Brazilian real at 5 Russian ruble and at 64.92 Indian rupee and at 6.3 Chinese yuan. Also trading at 70 pence to the British pound and 81 cents against the euro. That's uh, against with the European currencies. And commodities now gold $1,333, platinum $921 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil gone down by one notch to $67.45 per barrel. And that's how it's looking right now.
1: Let's say thank you very much there to Wisani with that economics news update. And with that, it's time for a sports update. Here's Musiburi Makura.
0: Thank you, Luanda. Good uh, good evening, sports fans. And starting off with Commonwealth Games' new South African sprinter, Agane Simbeni, has won the gold medal in the final of the men's 100-metre at the Commonwealth Games on Australia's Gold Coast earlier today. Simbeni stopped the clock in 10.3 seconds and in a stunning result, fellow South African, Hendrigo Brinkies finished in a, uh, second position in a time of 10.17 seconds. The bronze medal went to Jamaica's Johan Blake, who finished in uh, 10.19 seconds. And this is how the race unfolded. We seem to not have that sound for now. But South Africa is now in fifth position on the medals table with a total of 18 medals. Meanwhile, South Africa's Chad Leclerc claimed his third gold medal at the 2018 Commonwealth Games after winning the 100-meter butterfly event. Leclerc won in a time of 50.65 seconds, a new Commonwealth Games record, finishing ahead of England's James Guy as well as Australia's Grant Irvin. Meanwhile, Cameron Funderburg stunned the world record holder Adam Petey to win in uh, the 50-metre breaststroke event in a time of, uh, 50, um, time of rather 50.2 seconds. That wasn't all for South Africa in the swimming pool as South Africa's newest swimming star, Tatiana Skunamaker, was back to her winning ways in the women's 100-metre breaststroke at the Commonwealth Games winning gold in a new African record in a time of 1 minute and 6 seconds. Stella Shisanga is the second athlete to win gold for Uganda after winning the women's 10,000-meter final at the Commonwealth Games. Kenya's Stacey Ndiwa was second, while Merselan Chilangat won the bronze medal after finishing third at the Karaga Stadium earlier this morning. Now on to football news. The Kenyan national women's football team Harambe Starlets have made it into the second round of the African Women Cup of Nations qualifiers following a barren draw against Uganda and Kampala on Sunday afternoon. Channel Africa's Francis Motegi reports.
10: The David Ouma coached team who won the first leg in Machakos, Kenya, sailed through one on aggregate. Starlets next face two-time champions Equatorial Guinea in the second and final round with the winner begging a ticket to the Women's Continental Frubo Showpiece in Ghana in November 2018.
0: And finally in golf news, Patrick Reed fought off Fury's backliner challenges from Jordan Spieth as well as Ricky Fowler to record a one-shot victory at the Masters, trading in his Captain America cap for the green jacket. The final round began with Reed holding a three-shot advantage over Rory McIlroy, but while the North, uh, Northern Irishman's challenge faded, Reid had to hold off his hard-charging U.S. Ryder Cup teammates to claim his first major championship.
3: You know, the way those guys
13: played towards the end, you know, with Jordan, shoots a 64 today, and, you know, with Ricky going to shoot 67, having to go shoot under par on my final round of your first major to win, it, it, it was hard. And, uh, you know, it was, it was awesome and satisfying to, you know, make the clutch plus I did on the back nine. Um, after feeling like I wasn't really making anything all day, to make that one-on-12 for Birdie seemed to kind of give me that momentum and just really that belief going the last couple of that, no matter what they throw at me, I, I'm, I can do this and I have a chance.
0: There's I Sports News at the Sun. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa
1: Digest. I say thank you very much to Ms. Makura with that sports. Let's now take a quick recap of your top stories as we close the hour. The African Union joins Rwanda as it begins 100 days of reflection and commemoration of the 1994 genocide and MSF consent about an outbreak of cholera at the Kakoma Refugee Reception Center in Uganda. That brings us to the end of the hour of this show. From myself, uh, Luanda Maume, technical producers Fiso Mahshiko, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you very much for listening, and remember, you can keep in touch with the show via email, it's info at channelafrica.co.za, or you can send us a WhatsApp message is 2776 2776-300-3327 on Twitter. you find us on Ed Channel Africa One. Taking us to the top of the hour for your chinyanja service is the music of Stimela featuring the Black Mambazo and Tadi Somazoi. This one is called 10 on the Sun. Till later. Bye for now.